Well, hello, Pastor Matt here. Just want to take a moment to say thank you for tuning in to this message. We here at New Life Baptist Church hope that in making these resources available to the public, that we'll help to edify the body of Christ at large, and that you personally will increase in your knowledge of God, leading to a deeper love for Him. Now, what you're about to listen to is a teaching lesson from our Wednesday night study series entitled, What is God Like? A Study of the Attributes of the Almighty. If you would, please stand with me as we read the Word of God. Exodus 3, 4 through 15 is what we're going to be at. Verse 4. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold... The cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and said to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Let's pray. Gracious God, we come before you tonight, Lord, and, and humbly open your word, asking and hoping and trusting that we will hear from you, from your word tonight, Lord. I ask that you would open up the eyes and the ears of our heart and our spirit, Father, that we can receive your word. Lord, I ask that this be edifying to us tonight, God. I ask that we be able to see you in a new light, even if for the first time tonight, Lord that we may glorify you all the rest of our days. And we pray for these things in your mighty name. Amen. All right. So we are in 
the series, God, um, I'm sorry, What is God Like? We're studying the attributes of God, and tonight's attribute that we're going to focus on is that God is self-existent. God is self-existent. Now, this particular passage of scripture that we just read through is not um, groundbreaking that we would turn there whenever we're looking for the self-existence of God. This is pretty much where everybody turns um, because of the things that God says about himself. Who better to tell us about God than the very voice of God, right? So what's going on here? You know this story. I don't really have to do too much work to set this up for you. You know what's going on here. Moses is approaching the burning bush. And as you saw at the beginning, God says, remove your sandals. This is holy ground. And then he has a conversation with him. I want you to note the different ways that God refers to himself and also the different ways that we see um, the, the writer of Exodus, uh, which is Moses, we, the way that we see him refer to God as well, the way that he writes. We see God, capital G-O-D. We see Lord in all capitals, but the O-R-D are smaller capitals. We see God say, I am who I am. You see God say, I am. You see God refer to himself as the God, the father of Isaac, Jacob, and everyone else. What do all of these names mean, and why, are, why is he saying so many different things? Are, do they all have the exact same meaning? And, and, and if so, uh, then why is he doing that? And if not, then what can we learn from all of these different names? Number one, we see God, which in the Hebrew is Elohim. You've probably heard Elohim before if you've been in church for a while. Um, Elohim, which is the Hebrew word that just in a general sense means God. It's a, a, a term that's applied to deities. Elohim. So it can be used in the sense that you would just write God with a little g-o-d, uh, you know, just to talk about idols. Um, it can be used in, in various senses, but that's why we attribute that to God, and you see the capital G, just the way that we do in English. Then we see Lord. Now, I don't, we don't see that really here in this passage, uh, but throughout the Bible, you'll see Lord with a capital L, lowercase o-r-d. You see Lord spelled two ways, all caps and then just a capital L. That, in the Hebrew, is Adon. And then in the Greek, they translate it to Adonai. And it is much like Elohim. It is the general sense of Lord, Master. Um, so we're not really saying Lord as in his name, but more Lord as in what he is. Does that make sense? Do you understand that? So we're saying it, it would be the equivalent in English because we don't really have lords today, right? We're not, we didn't grow up in um, royalty, you know, where they talk about lords, and we, didn't, we don't have that, so our equivalent of that would be maybe president, or my boss, or my manager. Really, it's the, the chief position that's over me, and that's why you see lord, master, that's what Adon means, and in Greek, whenever they talk to Jesus, they call him Adonai. Uh, it's the same term, it's Lord. But then we see this other Lord, 
with all capitals and they're small capitals. Now, here is where we derive, you've heard the name Yahweh. You've heard that before. Y-H-W-H. Sometimes you've seen it spelled Y-A-H-W-E-H. It's all the same thing, just different spellings on that. But Yahweh is God's holy personal name. So that is what God actually speaks to Moses in telling him who he is. He says, this is my name forever. It's Yahweh. This is who I am. And this name was so sacred to the Hebrew people that they, they started to change what they would actually spell and put on paper because they didn't want people to speak the holy name of God. That's how much reverence they had for God's name is that they didn't even want you to read it and say it out loud because this is holy. This is holy unto the Lord. This is uniquely God. So they came up with Yahweh. They came up with L-O-R-D, all capitals. So anytime in your Bible when you see L-O-R-D, all capitals, that is God's holy name. That's Yahweh. Now, we also see God say, I am who I am. Now, this isn't a lesson in Hebrew, right? If you were to give me a paper with Hebrew writing on it, I would have as many question marks around my head as you would. I'm not a Hebrew expert. But in our studying in the 21st century, when we have so much information at our fingertips, we can discover these things. And we find out that I am who I am is the Hebrew word, uh, for Haya. This is not a karate chop. This is a verb in Hebrew, Haya, and it means to be. Now let's just take a moment and point out the elephant in the room. That's a weird thing to say, right? God, who do I say sent me to be? What? I don't really, that doesn't really make sense in English. But in Hebrew, he would understand that God is saying that he is to be. And he goes on to explain it in, in uh, where is it, verse 12. He said, but I will be with you. I will be with you. This is what he's communicating to Moses through his holy name is that I will be with you. Moses, I am who I am. I am the one who is. And then he just shortens it to say, I am. And that's a little bit of a different verb that's ehye, which means I will be. So what God is communicating to us in saying that he is, in saying I am, it means to be. Now, let's think about this. This is going to melt our minds a little bit, okay? And you might think in yourself into a little bit of a pretzel. It's okay. Let's understand that he's God. He's high above us. But what God is communicating thousands of years ago to Moses is that he is, that he is being, that he currently is being. He is existing. But not only is he existing, he's going to exist with you. He's going with you. You might remember Revelation 1.8 where he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was 
and who is to come, the Almighty. You know that verse, right? That's what God is communicating in a very, very short way in telling us what his personal name is. So this isn't God's function, like capital L, small o-r-d. This is who God is. He is existing. He is with you. He is existing all unto himself. Now whose mind is totally melted right now? No hands went up. That's good. I guess that you, y'all are at the top of your class. Teachers, give them gold stars. Now, what's important for us to notice in this text is that Moses immediately recognizes who this God is, right? It says that he fell to his face and worshipped. He knew who this God was. But then he does something very bizarre. He says, if I go to them and then they ask me what his name is, it's in verse 13 if you want to look at it. He says, if I come to the people of Israel and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. Notice, the God of your fathers. And they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? Well, hold on. Why would these people not recognize who this God is if you did? Right? Because that's how I, God identified himself to Moses. He said, I'm the God of your father. I'm the God of Jacob. I'm the God of Isaac, Abraham, everybody else. I am that God. But now, Moses is worried that when he goes to the Israelites, who, by the way, as a side note, are in captivity in Egypt, and they have been there for a very long time, he thinks that they're going to not know who this God is. So is Moses smarter than the Israelites? Moses didn't really know this God before this. What is it? What are we to see here? What do we need to learn? Well, we need to understand that the Egyptians believed in every kind of God there is. They had a, a sun God. They had many, many gods. They were a pantheist, polytheist. They believed in many, many gods. So whenever a strange man is coming to them and saying, hey, the God of your fathers, the Elohim of your fathers has sent me here to take you out of this land, they're going to say, well, there's like 400,000 gods here. What are you talking about? What, what God are you referring to? And he then gives him his holy, sacred name. Tell them, I am sent you. Tell them Yahweh sent you, and they'll know who I am. In God saying, I am, he's saying that I am eternal. I am the self-existent one. I am the ancient of days. I am, period. They are not. They would understand that this is the God. This is the one true living God. And in the same way, you, church, when, when you hear people talking about God, I mean, let's be honest, how many award shows have you seen? And they're like, oh, you know what, I just want to thank God who's been bringing me through all this. And then, you know, Christians go crazy on, on social media because they said God. What God are they talking about? 
What God are you really talking about? Are you talking about the God money? Are you talking about the God fame? Are you talking about the God celebrity? Or are you talking about Yahweh, the one true living God, the one who is self-existent, the one who has need for nothing? And that's what God is showing us here in saying, this is my personal name. This is what you will call me forever, for all time, is I am. Now, we learn a lot from these three letters. I am. I am. That's a, that is packing a punch in saying that, because we have to understand, like we read in Revelation 1.8, or like I read to you in Revelation 1.8, who is and who was and who is to come. So that means in 2020 in America, God is saying, I am. Back in however many thousands of years B.C. this was, he's saying, I am. Jesus, whenever he walked on this earth, he said before Moses was, before Abraham was, before anybody else was, I am. He always is. He will never not be. Now, how can that be? How is that even possible? How is that even possible that God always is and was, and what are we even saying? We're going to have to get really deep here, okay? Don't roll your eyes too hard. We're going to have to stretch our minds and think deep thoughts about God. Now, we'll preface all of this like we did last week by saying we're not going to fully grasp everything. We just can't. And there's only so far that we can go in our study of God because he has not revealed his totality of everything that he ever is to us because we can't handle it. We're just people. Guys, how many times do you start reading through the instruction manual and throw it away because it's too many words? Every time? Snidal, I know you do. Every time. <laughs> we got an honest one here. So when it comes to God, though, we have to understand that, that we can't settle for just knowing, well, God's love. That's all I need to know. Because what you believe about God will shape your whole life. It will shape everything in your life. It will shape how you handle situations, how you, how you handle success, and how you handle the bad times. It will shape everything. So we need to take the time to think deep thoughts about God. And Charles Spurgeon says it this way. Nothing will so enlarge the intellect, nothing so magnify the whole soul of man as a devout, earnest, continued investigation of the great subject of the deity. That's profound. What Spurgeon is saying is that as you think deep thoughts about God and take on the task of learning about him and seeking out his attributes and, and wanting to know what he's like, then it stretches your brain. 
And your learning increases because you've undertaken the greatest study of all time. Teachers, we've got a lot of people in the academic field here. There's a lot of things that you have to study at work. But the greatest thing for any of us here to study is God Almighty. In contemplating God identifying himself as Yahweh, or I am, let us come to a few conclusions from this. We derive from his holy sacred name that he is self-existent. So what does that mean? What does that really, really mean? It means that God is not an effect that has been caused. Rather, he is the cause that affects everything. So, it might have been a little while back, but in school you learn about cause and effect. That every effect has a cause, right? You remember this? Every effect has a cause. If something has happened, something made that something happen, right? Well, in thinking about God, a lot of people say, okay, if the, since creation has happened... That means that something had to have caused creation. I mean, that just is logical, right? If, if everything's here, then something had to have done all of this. Now, there are pe people who are too, too smart for their own good. They will disagree with that. But it's true. It stands to reason. It's logical that if everything is here, then something put it all here. So people will incorrectly and wrongly try to apply that to God and say, okay, well then let's follow that all the way through. And if you want to say that God exists, then what caused God to exist? You tracking with me? God, though, is self-existent. Nothing caused God to happen. God caused everything else to happen. Romans 1, 19 through 20. Why don't you turn there with me? And what we're going to see is that because things are, God must be. Well, that's just one of the weirdest sounding sentences of all time. Because things are, God must be. We're talking about cause and effect. Romans 1, 19 and 20. It says, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. Okay, well, how? How did he do that? Verse 20 explains it. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived Ever since the creation of the world. In what? How? In the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. What he's saying here is because things are, God must be. God has revealed himself through creation. He's revealed himself through cause and effect. Because everything exists here because you can go to the ocean and watch whales or watch dolphins 
swim majestically through the ocean or climb the top of a mountain or, or drive on a, on a scenic coastline or sit in your uh, living room and watch Netflix. Because all of these things are in existence, God is revealing himself through that by the fact that it exists. That's a deep thought, and it's a really big thought. But nothing could get here. No creation could have ever happened. Your life never could have happened if it had not been caused. God causes all things. He is the cause in the world. Are you following with me? He is self-existent. He doesn't need anything to cause him. He is the cause. And since he's self-existent, everything else exists in and through him. So turn over to Colossians. Now we're kind of going to have to read ahead in Colossians here, but it'll be fine. I know we're studying that on Sunday, but Colossians 1, verse 17. It's Colossians 1, 17. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is before all things. He's self-existent. And all things hold together in him. He causes everything else to happen. Are we following that line of thinking? Good, good. So, to not hammer that point home and beat a dead horse, what the other aspect of God being self-existent is that God is self-sufficient. So in order for God to exist, he, doesn't, he also exists unto himself. That means that he doesn't need anything for him to exist. So let's put this in human terms. You and I, we have to eat. We have to breathe. We have to sleep, right? We have to drink water. Our, our lungs have to inhale and exhale. Our, our hearts have to pump and, and pump blood. We have to have these things in order for us to exist. So we are not self-existent. We require other things to, um, to happen to us. We require our body to, to do things in order for us to exist. But God is not like that. I hope you got your Bible open still. Go over to Acts 17. Now, we actually read this not too long ago. We did a, a message on this a couple of weeks ago. But it's Acts 17, 25. And here Paul is um, in the Areopagus. And he's arguing about the existence of God and that sort of thing. And uh, 1725, he says, Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. So we see we're allowing God's word to tell us for itself about who God is. 
He's self-existent. He is, period. He's the great I am. He doesn't need anything to exist. He's self-sufficient. Now, this is very important to grasp for another reason. There are people today who would say that God created everything. He created the heavens and the earth and the fish and the, the birds and everything else because he needed to. They will say that because God was lonely, he created everything because he wanted to have relationship with people. So he created us. That is absolutely untrue. God could have existed for all of eternity future without have ever created anything, and he'd be just fine. He would still be magnificent. He would still be glorious. He would still be wondrous. He would still be loving and gracious and kind by nature of just who he is. Are we understanding that? Just because of who God is, he doesn't need anything else. What are you going to give to him? Happiness? He is joy. What are you going to bring, do? Bring peace to his life? He is peace. What are you going to do? Just really give him a lot of love? He is love. You see, there's nothing that we have to offer God in any way, shape, or form that would even move the meter, just even one, one iota, one way or the other. Humans, the totality of humanity is so minuscule and insignificant when we compare it next to the majesty of God. He is huge. He is so big and great and grand and vast. Yet, he created us. Yet, he put us here. What's that about? If he didn't need us, then why are we even here? Now, let's understand that God doesn't need us to accomplish his purposes either. There are people that will say in churches today that, well, if we don't do it, God's work won't get done. It's not true. It's not true at all. In Matthew 3, 9, if you want to flip there with me, I hope you stretched your fingers. Matthew 3, 9, Jesus is speaking. And the Pharisees are here trying to defend themselves about being um, people of Abraham, uh, sons of Abraham. I'm sorry, this is uh, John the Baptist speaking. Uh, verse 9, 3, 9. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. What is he saying? We, we see from this verse that God does not need humans to accomplish his purpose. In this situation, God's purpose was to fulfill his promise to Abraham that he was going to give him many, 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 many children. Well, God's saying that he doesn't even need you to do that. He'll bring stones to life. 
So we don't, God has no need for us, yet he chooses us. In this, in this understanding, and I'm going to get a little bit ahead in our study just because this, I can't skip this opportunity to, to, to share this with you. But in this, we get a sampling, an excellent, beautiful sampling of the love of God. Because he has absolutely no need for us, yet he created us. He has absolutely no need to save you, yet he did. John 3.16 doesn't say, for God so needed the world that he sent his son. It says, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. Wow. What a profound love the Father has for us. He doesn't need us, but he chooses us. We depend on his existence, and so he keeps us alive. How many of us woke up this morning? Not one hand, huh? Everyone's dead. Well, that's weird. God didn't need to send Jesus to the earth to die for our sins, but he wanted to. He chose us. He chose to because of his great love for us that doesn't even hinge upon us for a moment. See, real, real, true love is loving that person when they have nothing to give you. And that's what we see in God towards us. We have nothing to offer him. He's self-existent. He's self-sufficient. He'd be just fine without us. He could have destroyed us long ago, and guess what? He'd be justified. He'd be loving. He'd be gracious. He'd be merciful and forgiving, even if he did, but he didn't. Every single one of us are in here because of the great love and grace of God. So what do we do with this information? How do we keep this head knowledge from just being head knowledge? How do we make it knowledge of God and not just facts about God? I have a quote for you from this book, um, this wonderful book called Knowing God by J.I. Packer. He says, he asks the question, how can we turn our knowledge about God into knowledge of God? The rule for doing this is simple but demanding. It is that we turn each truth that we learn about God into matter for meditation before God, leading to prayer and praise to God. In simple language, go home, think about this, and pray about this, and praise God for who he is. Let's stand. We'll go ahead and pray and we can be dismissed tonight. God, we come before you tonight, Lord, and we are just humbled 
under the magnitude of who you are. Lord, I, I hope that we all feel small next to you, God. Because you're giant. You're just unfathomably big. And in us feeling so small and insignificant next to you, God, we can then truly experience and appreciate the depth and riches of your grace and love towards us. God, it's just unbelievable that you don't need us, but here we are. It's just unbelievable that you didn't have to do any of this, but you did. Lord, I pray that you move this knowledge supernaturally from our minds to our hearts and produce praise and worship to you in all of our lives, Lord. May our affections for Christ be stirred, and may the name, the great name of Yahweh, reign supreme in all of our lives. We pray for these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.